I have a try anything once philosophy. I'd say focus on your thing rather than the gig. Learn a language, travel, do outreach, and aim high, and um, and have lots of different diverse avenues and goals. That's like the spice of my life has been emulating my dad in in my musical career is just like he didn't want to just be in an orchestra he chose to swing a hammer he chose to you know be on the phone with brides and learn and negotiate because that's he's a people person and so I get all that in my freelancing life and you know I encourage everyone to just embrace the variety of being a freelance gig musician every time we talk we change the world a little when we talk we hope we change it for the better when I turn the chatter down I grow up every time we listen we can give a little every time I shut my mouth welcome everybody to the taking notes podcast how y'all doing I'm doing good I didn't know if you were talking to me or the faking fam are you doing good faking fam we hope you're doing good I just want to say this interview is is one that I've wanted to do for a while, for a long time, ever since I've moved to LA and started a podcast. Uh, she is she has performed uh, in the string cover of Bad Guy for the hot Netflix show Bridgerton with Vitamin String Quartet. Uh, if you've been watching that show, you've heard her sweet violin sound. Uh, she played with the Austin Symphony. She got a tenure track job at nineteen. She studied jazz at University of Texas, and she said no to Berkeley and Curtis. And she said yes to Hans Zimmer, Postmodern Jukebox, the Hollywood Bowl, freaking everyone. Like, what hasn't she done? Throughout this episode, she talks about her amazing family, her amazing childhood, and now she's uh, raising an amazing family of her own. We really start to dig in, even with all that she's done, it's how to still grow, how to still learn. What is she doing next? And one of my favorite things that she says is like albums are just kind of like a scrapbook or just a, a moment in time in your life. And she has three out on Spotify uh, in no particular order. There's Plans Change, there's Leah and the Moonlighters, and her fan favorite, Pour Moi. Please welcome our next guest, the Leah Ziegler. Can you dig it? Yes, you can. I'm in front of them. So I put, I installed this mirror a few months ago. It's my dance mirror. It's gigantic. And um, it's an illusion. It's just like my most, it's what I've always wanted to do. I've been living in this house in Eagle Rock for 10 years. It's just needed this mirror because I love to dance. It's my major like therapeutic thing. I love to dance and, uh, and I want to dance with the kids and get them like off the iPad (laughs) occasionally, you know? Oh my gosh. I love that. Have you always been like a dancer? Did that come on later? I I just realized I I dance the way I do, which is very ballet or it's very it's very ballet esque. Um, because my dad is a cellist and he has been in the Houston Ballet Orchestra for thirty seven years. Whoa. So and now Whoa. they're on furlough, is that what it is? they're they can't play right now because of the quarantine. So, but they're paying them. And Houston has so much money for the arts. It's great. I mean, Texas in general, which is just so weird and fascinating when I, when I explain that to everyone, other than like, you know, being within like the university atmosphere or at one of these major cities, New York, LA, Chicago, 
to where there's enough freelance opportunities. Like go yeah. to Texas and they're like, what? <laughs> like some of those high schools are better than colleges. Those kids are oh, man. crazy. I went to the performing arts high school in Houston, HSPVA. It was great. Like Patrick Swayze went there. Um, who yeah. else do we have? Xena's sidekick, Xena Warrior sidekick. And then there's some major ones that I'm forgetting. Wait, but like, uh, Xena the Warrior Princess? What? Yeah. That blonde yeah. chick? Her sidekick, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> she was that. hot, dude. Yeah. Really? Cute, yeah. And then. I watched that when I was a kid. Who went? Oh, of course. Um, pianist, um, major jazz pianist, Glasper. Glasper. Robert Glasper went there. It's HSPBA. So, I mean, and then Dallas has the same, like that sister school and. But it was great. It was really fun, except I, I mean, I don't know if you want me to dive into it, but please dive in. Okay. Yes. So that's what yes. we're about. My little story is that What's your I, story? <laughs> I like, I was seriously classically trained. My mom's violinist. She was in the Houston Symphony. Uh, she's originally from here, by the way, from LA, which is really cool because uh-huh. I have family here um, on her side still. And she's happy to come back now. I have a reason to watch my kids and, you know. And she's with her family again. Win-win. But she left when she got the Houston Symphony job and she met my dad in Vegas playing the Wayne Newton show. They were like in between. He was teaching orchestra, high school orchestra at the time in Vegas and playing the Wayne Newton show. And then she was auditioning. So she was, you know, in her in her early 30s and she was uh, taking auditions, flying. And, and she got, she won Houston. She took my dad out there. Uh, he just followed her. They like fell in love after three months. They just got married and, and left and went to Houston. No. He started a wedding agency and that's a major part of who I am is, is like this kind of, I'm a jack of all trades within the confines of music in the way that he is just a jack of all trades. He's an incredible man. He's like my hero, my dad. Um, he swings a hammer and he plays a cello and he like <laughs> runs a, he ran a business. Like the wedding agency was so cool. Like he got to, I got to play chamber music with my family, with my parents growing up, like at weddings. And it was just a small business, but like, like a hundred thousand a year. I'll just be honest. I, I like, Whoa. I like talking about money cause it's like, no, I'm so comfortable with it. And it's we like talking about a money. game to me. Like you, ha- I think of money like a game, and, a game and saving like a game. You have to think of it positively to like be, be comfortable. I feel like, Oh yeah. Um, you get, don't need a lot in a comfortable situation. Yeah. You don't need a lot. And what I'm learning like recently, and I hate to cut you off is like we, the way we're taught about money is wrong have you read the creature from jekyll island no it's on my my read homie read to-do list to read it's like third in the queue after this uh uh tony shea book but it's uh a second look at the federal reserve it's the creature from jekyll island colon a second look at the federal reserve and i'm from georgia i'm uh i when i did this uh program called the franklin pond chamber music uh, festival, we would go to Jekyll Island and I did this for four years. And I just didn't know that that was, they said it and say, like, oh, it's birthplace of the, the Federal Reserve. But nobody ever talks about what the Federal Reserve is. This <laughs> book talks about it and it lets really? you know the truth. What's it called um, again? Jack- it's called The Creature from Jekyll Island colon, a second look at the Federal Reserve. I love how open you are specifically about this money because that's something that we yeah i know it's kind of like not it's it's kind of a a no-no no we've been expanding into it specifically because it's a no-no it's like this weird uncomfortable thing and yeah there's a like a stigma around it and i mean i i guess i've always been kind of um i've been self-conscious about people thinking i have money and come from it first of all 
I'm Jewish. And, <laughs> um, it's totally a misconception. Yeah. Just let me say, and I didn't even know that that you know, in general, the Jews are not all you know mostly wealthy. Totally not true. Like most Jews are not wealthy, actually. And I've I've done research and stuff just for my own knowledge. But anyway, um, yeah, like it's because it's a false huge, association. Like people were always just confused. Like um, you're well, why don't you? My parents are musicians, man. We're we're from like Russian peasants, like back in uh, not Russian. Um, um, yeah, it's interesting. Both my parents um, are descended from neighboring shtetls in wow. Belarus, I found out. And I got to go to Russia, actually. I was got close to that area and got to do um, some shows in Russia with Gonzalo Bergara, my uh, gypsy jazz brother, soul wow. brother. So anyway. What a family. Oh, my gosh. I've, I've gotten to work with such incredible players. That's another story. So where was I? Oh, yeah. My dad taught me about being a business person. I just like would listen. He had an office in the house. Like we had a very modest house. He actually built half of it himself. So like this man, I'm telling you, and my mom. I mean, they're both such incredible people. So, um, but they like, they taught me how to save. And I kind of got into it a little too much. In fact, like I got really, um, it became like, it's a fun game. But then like when I got into gigging, I think it, it, it distracted me from my art and making mm. my own art. So that's, uh, you got to be careful of that. Like, don't get, don't get obsessed. Don't get obsessive compulsive about, about saving money and making money. Like you have to make your art and that's important. Could we of course. dig further into that? Cause I'm just very curious. Yes. Like I've been speaking with so many other people more recently about the anxiety that comes with like money discussions. And it's a yeah. particularly thing, hard thing for musicians because of like that weird association between like a dollar amount. But yeah. I, I think that's something like Drew and I've been advocating for ourselves and for others is to talk openly about it and yes. to encourage each other to ask more. And then that can free you up to do things for less or whatever. Like there's all these different things that go into it. What, right. What is too far in the weeds for you? What did, what was the cause and effect of that? It was all just such a learning experience. But when I moved to LA, I was, uh, it was 10, 11 years ago, almost. I had come from Austin and I think like I was just learning, like I, w I had um, a situation, a really easy situation in Austin. I was still kind of like half a kid. And then I, I was like, I came out here. I'm not going to say my age. <laughs> and then um, like I was on my own and I started to really realize, oh, you know, I need to, I need to start making some money, I guess. Like, this is really, this is real life. And I, I had a support system. Like I moved in with a boyfriend that I had met when I was like, I came, I rented a car and moved out here for like a month to kind of get a feel for LA. And if I could make, make a go of it, um, went to all the jazz sessions, all the, I just tried to meet lots of people. And I ha ended up meeting this guy, Dennis Ham, who's an incredible pianist. He plays with Thundercat. Wow. He was playing with all kinds of badasses and he's just a beautiful, beautiful guy, beautiful player. So I, I moved, moved in with him and we like, he just, he introduced me to all these people, but I guess I started getting gigs slowly. And then, um, I was also pursuing my, uh, my album. I was getting, trying to get my album out there that I had just made in Austin and I was pushing it to people in LA and it's called Lee and the Moonlighters. It was my project. And it was, it's like jazz crossover. I'll tell you more about it later, but like, I, 
I was getting gigs at the same time. And it was so easy to just pick up the phone, say, you know, someone tells you be be here at this time. And it just became like crack. Like the nature of the gig is just, it. if you, if you get used to just doing that, I mean, it's like my brain just shuts off over a period of years of that. And I get too comfortable. And that's what happened to me, I think. And it was just became like this, Ooh, I'm making 200 today. And you know, I'll make a thousand by the end of the week. Oh my God. Um, and it just became kind of an addiction, I admit. And like, it's just like, it's just a game though. It's like, a like gambling or something. It's, can I stop you there? Cause yeah. I don't think it's like bad or maybe if you're addicted. It, it just to- took away time from my own projects and I'm still doing it right now in quarantine. Like oh, I take I on you. other people's projects and I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, I'm addicted to girl. Like I'm addicted to paying my bills. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a necessary evil and, and it, you know, so I'm, I think I'm being my own like devil's advocate right now. I do really love how I've handled things and I love that I'm comfortable now, but yeah, I really had to put my head down and just like make a game of it. You know, that's, that's it. Was the spark realizing that, wait, yes, this keeps coming. Yes, this is fun, but I'm not yeah. doing my own stuff. I'm just doing everyone else's stuff. And it just part became, of the okay. Oh, I was also going to talk about this. It's also just really exciting and fun to meet a new person every other day. You know, like to, I love doing house calls. I call them. And just go into someone's home studio and laying down some stuff on their commercial, on their track, whatever, independent film. Like, I've been doing that for so long. Like, even before in Austin, I started doing some of that. And I just really fell in love with contributing to other people's projects. It just became... So it's it's not unhealthy, really. If, if you look at it that way, it's just like this beautiful interaction and uh, between between two or more people... Like I go into a studio and it's like after two hours, someone I didn't know becomes like a best friend. You know, like I just feel and I I get that from my dad. I think I have diarrhea of the mouth sometimes. <laughs> I just like <laughs> I'm okay. a little overly gregarious. I just love talking and I love, you know, the interaction between people. That's like the highest level of um, uh, I, it's just like one of my favorite things in life. You're yeah. in good Dude. company. Sounds like a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's why we do this. That's what we're doing right now. Yeah, it's communicating. And music is just an extension of that. Can I ask you or run something by you? Because like I, in quarantine, I've been trying to up my game uh, as a business person because I realized that the only way I make money is by exchanging my time. Mm-hmm. And I was, a, I was introduced to a concept by this guy named uh, Robert... Oh my goodness. I'm going to hate myself forever. <laughs> Dang. I'm going to have to look him up again. Um, I just met him in clubhouse and he's a wonderful YouTuber. Who's over half a million subscribers. He mm-hmm. makes content. Uh, he's made over a thousand videos on like how to like build your business and be an entrepreneur in the digital age. And on one of his videos, he said something that was, was just fire. And he said, once you have established yourself in an industry, and exhibited that you're capable of getting the job done and you become better at the job. You can get it done faster. You can get it done in smaller amounts of time. What exists in the market, mostly in the creative freelance world is you don't get paid for your efficiency. Mm. So yes, you, you get called to do a gig for, you know, you do a double and that's like whatever the rate is, whether it's union or not. And then you don't get 
paid more if you play it right the first time, which disincentivizes people to practice. So you, yeah, and it takes longer, but I practice every day. So I'm going to sessions now in house calls where I'm done with the music and we still have like two hours left on the session. Yeah. It's just me. And I still don't get paid more. So I'm wondering like, what do you you Uh think? Do you find that to be true? Do you think there's a possibility for us as like a collective to start thinking about efficiency as well? God. Yeah. That's an, that's, that's, you know, I still struggle with this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, cause the, every scenario is so different and, um, and it's such an, an adaptive organic experience every time you walk into a session, you know, it's so, it's so different. It's so unique every, every recording session. And, um, and you have to like get a, get a real quick feel for, for what is, what are we entering into? What's the vibe here? Um, who, what role do I need to play in order, you know, sometimes I, if it's going a little slow, um, I have to take on this New Yorker kind of pace and, um, you know, and I just have to, and you know what I find is the most, if everything else, if, if any, everything else fails, I basically just, I have to be myself. I feel like being myself and being honest, it just helps a lot, like in, in getting fair treatment and, uh, getting paid what you're worth. Like I, I just, I'm open. I say, look, I don't want to be an asshole, but I feel like I've done a little more work than I, I expected to today. And I think that the more personable, and also I've learned, I mean, when 10, 15 years ago, I remember, I remembered I was just all about the hustle and I didn't really think about the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and now and it's really become about relationships, like on every little thing, even if it's just a little crappy gig, you know, that you don't want to go do, I can find the good in it no matter what. And that's really helpful. Everyone hearing this. Yeah. Don't be so quick to put your violin away and, or your instrument or your viola or any, anything. Don't, don't be so quick to leave. You know, like I, that used to be, I realized how, um, how insulting that was now that I used to do that and just be like, all right, thanks. Bye. You know, and just really self-centered. And I, I, it's just so much more, more fun. I've found that if you like treat everything, like every person, like their project really matters. I mean, preach like that's, it's beautiful. <laughs> Listen to her. Yeah. yeah. It's just so much more fun. Like as a composer, I'm always interacting with people and uh, like mm-hmm. different musicians for all different types of like film projects, theater projects, whatever. And it reminds me of looking at the numbers, like even with Drew and I's back to like grad school or whatever. If we need someone to come in and like lay down some music, we've got a hundred violinists we could just call. And the first person I call versus the hundredth person I call would all do an amazing job. So right. how do you make that decision? Who do I like? <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah. It's like, who, yeah. who's not or like, oh, they'd be fun to like have come over chill. We Yeah, that's what it comes down to, man. It's it's the hang. And like the older I get, man, it's like, who do I want to be spending my time with? Really? That's the more and and now having a family and it's just like things kind of become clearer. Like, oh, you know, money is money. It's going to be as good as dust when I'm gone. Like what I leave behind are the connections I make with people. That's it. So and the art
I switch some gears? This is a beautiful, that was a beautiful way to tie together that sentiment. And I think that I learned a lot, especially because I'm that hustler dude. Like I, I, I discount my, my value as a person often and I discount that maybe people want to hang out with me. I just think they just want me to play viola on their thing. And then I'm like, okay, that's good. I got another session. So <laughs> I'm out. If that's but, the vibe you're getting, like you can give it back by all means, like just like make it a business thing. Yeah. It's like you just match that energy, right? I That's true. And I, I, I do tend to have, see people in, in the hustle and a lot of the gigs that I do do. It's like downbeat is at 9 a.m. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Downbeat is at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. If you're not here, we can't, well, we this can't work. Right. So, but what you said about like really being there and building relationships. Yeah. Like that is just as important, if not more. Uh, Cause that's, that's where the art comes from is your soul. Right. Yeah. Well, and and that's what's so fun about doing, being like a solo kind of, I like flying solo, like being in a band is so much fun. And I'm in a couple bands. I've been in many bands, um, like maybe a, a handful that are, were really meaningful. And I, and, uh, but like, it's the commitment is hard. It's hard to commit to a group when it's just, mm-hmm. there's so many things that I want to do. And I've always felt like I just have to be a free agent and uh and like on these on sessions you can just kind of take your time and and build your own rapport and and it's just yeah i like i guess i'm independent in that way but i do enjoy being a part of a band and and um i've created some really cool connections with like with gonzalo bergara and our, our gypsy jazz quartet like i've traveled the world doing that with him and and it's a great dynamic but yeah and it's it's ironic that just another not i mean nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's like, I realized that I become closer to the people that I leave LA with than the people I'm, you know, I see them maybe once a year on a tour, but like, they're my best friends, you know? It's wild how that works. It's kind of like, it reminds me of like, I've like gone like, like, like across the Atlantic, like once I went to Italy, like back in one of the summers. <laughs> it's a good for, place to go. Man. For a, yeah. For a music, like a, a nerdy new music composition festival. Mm. And my little tribe, the five or six people I met with there, one of them was on this podcast, Megan Cards. Drew's played on her video game now. I met cool. her once during those two weeks of a summer, seven, eight years ago. And like the five of us stay in touch and I can still. I still feel like closer and connected to those people than people I've seen every, every day for years. It's weird how that happens. Like just going into a new environment, a new situation, like makes you feel more connected. It's really fun. <laughs> it's a, it's such a cool, like you have all these inside jokes by the end of it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, even with, with the Hans group, like when I go on tour with the Hans, Hans band, Oh, Hans Zimmer, sorry for. <laughs> it's a, no, we know um, what you meant. We're yeah, first, first, we're on first name, Zimmer. first name. Like basis. it's twenty-one people or something. I think it was like nine, maybe nineteen um, core members of the band. Huge band, but we're a family, and it, it's just super fun. That's great. I wonder what that was like for him because it's got to be so odd for composers, even though we all secretly crave fame or not secretly. like i don't think hans Zimmer or anyone in their minds like it's got to be such a weird experience because your whole life you've been the nerdy one in the room 
You yep. sit in a quiet, like Hans Zimmer, his room is like dimly lit. Yes, it's like it's like well upholstered, but it's still dimly lit and it's, you spend all day on a computer and then you, you kind of, I guess, don't realize like the impact of someone like him, like how many people have heard his films, heard his scores. Yeah. And to have like screaming fans, it's just something you don't really expect as a composer. He loves it. He, he, he loves it, I think. What's a crazy story from going on tour with them that you can oh, share? Man. Anything? Like something that like, <laughs> uh, maybe an inside joke? You man, I should have thought of that. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the times that we would go, like Guthrie Govan is like a really famous guitarist that's in the group and he's awesome. Just phenomenally amazing. Like we, we would go to these jam sessions and just people are all coming up to us and uh, trying to get his autograph and just, and then I think I, I got too drunk and I was singing and I, I, <laughs> I like, I went from Ain't No Sunshine to another song and then ended up going back to Ain't No Sunshine like <laughs> while we were doing the, the everybody's just like, what? This is whack. Ain't No Moonshine. I had some good moments though too on my sessions. Like I, I learned from that. I get too drunk sometimes. You're fun. It's taken you're, me like 20 my, years to figure it out. You're one of the funnest drunks I've ever been around. You just want to make music. <laughs> yeah. You are music. And that's why I really adore you and look up to you. Oh, likewise, man. Yeah. What was your first band experience? My first band experience? Okay, so I did. I like wrote down some notes because like my memory <laughs> okay. is shit. This is fake notes. A, as a mom, <laughs> it's just... Them. Five hours a night of sleep. I can do this. So yeah. Um, it was Huds the Hudsons. Oh my god, what a what a training experience. Like it was such a learning ground. Like that I learned to write a song and to perform a song. I became Whoa. a song singer-songwriter from these guys in Austin. And they're like some of the best songwriters I've ever met. And they're it's just the Hudsons. So one was Brian Hudson and one was Hudson Mueller. And um, they are from, they, they grew up in Austin. And I went to UT, by the way, for four years. I got my degree in opera because I got um, a shoulder, a nerve impingement in my arm at 15, which just changed everything. Mm-hmm. I lost my identity. I went, I, I was severely depressed. But then I found voice and then I got my degree in opera while I was, I won a, a position in the Austin Symphony. So I was like, I got a tenured spot at 19 in the, the Austin Symphony and was like working over there. They didn't know I was a singer and in school. And then at the vocal de- department, they didn't know I was a violinist, professional violinist at 19. Incredible. So that's my claim to fame over there. And um, uh, yeah, and mean, meanwhile, I was like studying jazz too and I had a band. So it was just so much going on. And then I met the Hudsons and it was like, so yeah, teaching me how to sing a song correctly. And so they we would do it again and again. They're like, nope. And we'd sit like, you know, like with some whiskey and just sit in a circle, like Indian style on the floor. And they'd just be like, nope, you didn't mean it. Do it again. We just do it like 20 times in a row until I meant it. And like, I mean, it was like, as an instrumentalist, we have so many walls up and that I had to break down as a vocalist. And yeah, it's, uh, it's very challenging and I'm also just kind of a self-conscious person, I think, innately. Super sensitive, a cancer. And um, so I had to just like knock down those walls and just like let, you know, just let out the emotion through, you know, through something other than my instrument. 
and it was challenging. Wow. So but it yeah, wasn't the I mean, lyrics. I, I think necessarily how you were I had to just yeah, I was just thinking like an instrumentalist when I would sing it. It was I, I was only thinking of the, you know, the music aspect of it. I'd be saying my south side boys, I need to travel. My south side boys love the road. I wake it dawn as I hear crunching gravel. My south side boys need the road. And it's like, hmm. I just could, I, until I meant it, you know, I don't know, I had to really listen to my own lyrics for once, you know. It, it was a, a different experience. I'd been writing poetry my whole life and writing songs, but to actually perform it and mean it was a different experience altogether. So, yes, I have a lot more respect for singer-songwriters. My south side boys, they need to travel. My south side boys love the road. I wake at dawn as I hear crunching gravel. My south side boys need the road I'm south side bread I've applied of mine I work and play very hard Incredible like again somewhat of a similar story just the first time leaving classical music land uh, and kind of returning back to my childhood and all these other types of music uh, like com- classical composers is a pretty solitary life. You go in the little room, yeah. click, click, click away, write on the pencil, check Facebook for a couple of hours. You come out and there's a piece. But, <laughs> but yet for like singer songwriters, it's just such a more collaborative and enjoyable experience. And, and going into the room um, with another podcast, Chris Hendricks and, and other people, musicals and just having rooms full of creatives uh, it's such a, a different and enjoyable experience to like create something together. Like, how yeah. is it being in the room, like actually creating, not just even pulling together ideas from outside, but to really like workshop it together? What's that like for you? It's such a, it's such a unique thing for each group of people. Like, it's never going to be the same. Like, for instance, uh, with my other, um, partner we we it was Aaron Goldfarb and we made this album Leah and the Moonlighters we started this band and it was like yeah this was I love that. 2009 yeah Leah and the Moonlighters and it was kind of Steely Dan as uh there was some rootsy Americana like feel you know from the Texas vibe and then mixed with like hardcore like traditional jazz um and I think that he would like Aaron would come up with these great uh, chord progressions and I would just come up with the melody and the lyrics a lot of the time. And uh, if I came up with like that Southside Boys song, that was the one or two on the album that I like wrote on piano and I have such limited uh, ability on piano. I need to get stronger with that. I mean, that's one of my biggest regrets, by the way, is uh, Everybody should, should be proficient for me. <laughs> piano. Yeah, piano. I mean, I want my kids to be either pianists or or guitarists just because chordal I'm I'm in love with chords. I grew up with like Bill Evans, listening to mm-hmm. Steely Dan, um just lots of really awesome cerebral chord progressions and and harmonies. So I'm 
Drew's pointing out the guitar. I'm like really excited to maybe have a pianist in the family finally. It's time. It's time, Leah. And I think that's something we don't want to talk about is string players. Because I'm learning guitar right now. Yay! I'm playing every day. Bar chords. Go, God bless my index <laughs> finger. <laughs> it is so it is so <gasps> sore and it's starting to get calloused on this side now. Oh no. But I'm I'm Yeah, it's a bitch. It's man. so but it is so gratifying because you know, the only yeah. real experience you get playing chordal harmony and using our classical instruments is like Bach. Or like Hindemith yeah. and like Schnitka, like at least for violists. And it's so cathartic, right? Like it hurts. I love playing Bach. <laughs> oh, Bach. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking Hindemith. It's just, it's major sevenths <sighs> and perfect fourths. Not, both <laughs> of which are usually as described it. So <laughs> <laughs> That's hard shit, it's man. hard. But guitar, it like, it makes it more palatable and it gives you more access to the invention of different types of chords. So many different chords. Mm-hmm. And, I think yeah. that's something we think about in like classical music land. Like when wherever you're going out to write some solo unaccompanied thing, uh, it's it's actually one of the hardest things you'll do because you can't always rely yeah. on harmony. And but we always look at at those Bach pieces, just all those partitas and the cello suites or whatever, because somehow he sets it up. It's like the multiple voices. It is the harmony. In fact, it's there, and like that kind of gets lost in so many other solo pieces, but. Um, just because you're not hearing more than one note at the time doesn't mean that it's not like ingrained these layers, this kind of web, this kind of tapestry by spiraling yeah. through. But it's kind of neat too. You like chose such melodic instruments coming in with both the violin and then the voice, well, like the ultimate melodic. They instrument. inform each other. How so? They inform each other. How so? I mean, like my mom, I didn't choose the violin really. I think it's just whatever you expose your kids to, they're going to want to do. It's it's like, you know, she was playing. I said, give me that. You know, that's the, <laughs> the child's first impulse is like, I want to do that because I see it a lot. And, um, and same with ballet, like seeing my, you know, Adam and I were dancing in the aisles at the, at the Wortham theater, seeing my dad, seeing ballets constantly my brother and I would go home and practice the tricks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the lifts and stuff. Um, and like, yeah, but similarly, similarly with violin, I mean, she was practicing with me two hours a day, six to 15 years old. And um, yeah, I mean, it was, and she, it was regimented and she was always like, I had a great teacher, Henry Rubin, shout out to him. He's um, was at teaching at U of H for a bit, but then he just had a private studio with him and his wife teaching in the same house. Like simultaneously, wow. they just teach all day and they're amazing human beings. Um, but Henry, yeah, he, it was like just going, what was my point? I'll do this a lot. No, Sorry. Because <laughs> I want to cover so many bases, but like, yeah. So just cla- um, like going from classical to, um, to jazz, it was like really weird. Can I ask you a what question? Um, based off of the songwriting, I, I, I want to delve deeper in this. And I honestly don't ask yes. you enough, Trevor, either about this. But like what, first of all, like when you make your own intellectual property as music, that's how you make your money. It's not playing covers of Beethoven. They say. It's not playing covers yeah. of stuff <laughs> written by other people. It's your stuff eventually. That's how you build your business. So I'm I'm always fascinated meeting singer songwriters because that's the exact opposite of whom the type of person I've been like associated with during my educational yeah. phase of my music career. What are some like 
when you're coming, I'll just get specific and then we can broaden out. But when you're dealing with lyrics, right? When you're writing poetry, yeah. like when do you write your poetry? Like, is it in the morning before everybody's awake? Or like, when do you get into the groove of writing songs? In college and pre-college, like I started around 11 writing songs, like at the piano, sitting with at the piano, coming up with chord pro- progressions. And I would kind of go, and just like, you know, nonsense syllables. And then they just, I'd pick a topic or whatever I was thinking about, feeling, and it would just, those words would, and I was an avid reader. I was a real bookworm. So the words would just find their ways into each nook and cranny perfectly. Like I've I've been blessed. I mean, um, my mom was really good, like adamant about, you know, good grades and, so I and we had tutors for SAT. We still flunked that shit. <laughs> My brother and I. We're just so slow. We're kind of on the slow side. But we have big, you know, grandiose thoughts. Um and our brains work real well, but just really slow. <laughs> I think artists. with that kind of testing. The standard yeah. test standardized testing. But um um but yeah, like I, I'm lucky to have a, a, a decent vocabulary that I don't always get to uh to utilize, but um and I think I just loved reading and I think those things just kind of found their way into. So anyway, I would wake up in the morning. Like I remember I had a keyboard on my, next to my bed in the dorm room and I would just wake up with melodies and with um, not necessarily with the lyrics, just the melodies would. And then the melodies would inform the lyrics. And, and uh, as long as I had, that's how I wrote, especially like the Moonlighters and then the plans one. change um, plans change is the last one I did where it was like pre kids. And I'm, it was, it's just like a chapter. I love how albums like represent chapters of your life. But anyway, yeah, like it's chord progressions and stuff first for me. And then the lyrics follow and you have to have an idea though of what you're trying to say. And I think I'm a little loose, like with structure and stuff. I've never liked structure. <laughs> I'm having to get over that with kids because they like routine a lot. It's challenging for me doing the same thing every day at the same time. But like, I'm kind of stream of consciousness, I think with my writing and but I, I like rhyming a lot. I think um, rhyming has always been super fun. And I do it quite a bit on this last album. It took me three years to write this last album oh, really? with Stevie Black. Yeah. So my, yeah, I'd say my main like creative partners, I've been blessed to have like three major ones thus far. And that's like the Hudsons who who taught me. And I started improvising with them too mm. around then. Really? Like, I was yeah, going to ask they you got, Cause it was like, you know, blue, it was in the bluegrass vein mostly. Um, and, but I always had this like classical, I would do kind of had a classical flair, you know, it'd be like classical meets bluegrass. And, uh, I was unabashed about it, but people would give me a lot of shit for it. In Texas. Like they, the fiddlers with the fiddlers were like hard on me. They'd be like, dude, you sound classical. Get out of here. <laughs> like, get out of here Take with that. Take your Tchaikovsky like, ass out. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yeah. And then, I, but I was majorly into jazz, and there was only one jazz club in, in Austin, so that's that's what made me make the move. I think is I was just like like early mid twenties. Uh, there, I just gave it away. But like, um, I I still had the energy. I thought I was going to settle down in Austin. I had a nice living situation. We bought a cheap house. My with my parents' help, like they helped me um, with my money from the Austin Symphony. And some, you know, wedding gigs and such that I was starting to do, like we, oh, and the money I saved 
from not going to, uh, I was supposed to go to Curtis. Um, and then I wanted to go to Berkeley, but I decided not to, uh, to study jazz. I just studied jazz at UT, like my last year. I mean, they, a great they didn't want to take a violinist or a vocalist, by the way. In Texas, they were very traditional. And I think all schools were really trying to be traditional. But in California, they got lots of like crossover classical stuff happening. And I'm really excited about that. I'm happy because they would not let me into the jazz program for many years. Even at the performing arts high school I went to. Wow. They were like, no, no violinists. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. But then they finally let me in like my senior year. And, and then it, it was like on from there. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. So I would improvise. I started improvising with the with Appian and then writing out some solos, but mostly just improvising. Moved to LA and then it just went from there. Like I would I would get all kinds of gigs, not just the country. I was so sick of country. <laughs> and I got to like branch out and they had j- jazz clubs galore here. And I and I was with Dennis at the time and he was like this amazing jazz musician, but with lots of class like all kinds of um different like I really craved um R&B, honestly, and they didn't have mm. much of that in Austin. I was pissed. They do now. At the time, they didn't. And I was like, I need me, I need me some okay, R&B. Okay, so R&B, who are, you ta- who are we talking? Are we talking Maxwell? We ta- I'm talking D'Angelo. D'Angelo. D'Angelo is my, <laughs> you know, that's right. my and be-all, end-all, okay. like, my favorite. I got to see him finally. Wow. Yeah. He doesn't tour enough or make enough music. Dang it. Come on, D'Angelo. He's living his life. Yeah, that's fine. Can't can't fault a guy for that. Dos cardenas para ti Con ellos quiero decir Te quiero Te Mi vida Ponle toda tu atención Porque son tu corazón y el mío. Was there a specific spark or just it's almost like inevitable that you would branch out and move from Austin to L.A.? Because that's a tough decision, particularly once homeownership, you've won a job. Yeah, and I was like a landlord. I was renting out the other three rooms in the house. Let's go, you house hacking. Oh, dude. We've been talking about that on the podcast. She's a house yeah, hacker. Yeah, I was a landlord man. at 23. Thank you very much. But yeah, it was hard work. And there were a lot of transients coming in and out. <laughs> like they would just like leave without, um, you know, I'd uh, leave in the middle of the night. Some of them. Uh, wow. They don't get their security know. deposit back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and they'd leave all their shit in the garage. Oh. So like my dad was helping out. He my dad loves, you know, doing that stuff. So he would like make a trip out of it for fun. He's so young at heart. He'd just like come hang out with us wow. and like party and then like fix whatever needed to be fixed. And um so I never had a property manager. Like he would just do plumbing and electrical. Um do plumbing and just, like, too? fix anything. And electrical? And yeah, yeah. He like we built he built a studio on the back of this house. Um my parents bought it when it was a this was a foreclosure. We're still renting to own. <laughs> um, all a little secret, but yeah, um, one day we'll own this house, I think, and and be able to like add on to it because it's really small, but it's really cute, and the backyard's stunningly beautiful. I love the your view. House. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's. I'm I'm happy to be here as long as I've been, and I'm very attached to it. It's like that he made the studio and he did the the electrical in there and we want to put a bathroom in there and then we can rent it out it would be so nice to be making like a 
a thousand extra bucks a month having someone in there, but we need to make put a bathroom in there, all these like stipulations and, you know, things you have to abide by. You got to get, uh, got to go to the city too, right? When- a lot of red tape. <laughs> of yeah. Red tape. <laughs> yeah. Someday we got big aspirations. Your dad is <laughs> something else. Family. Have you met him no, yet? No, I've never met you. I met your okay, mom. Okay, you met my mom. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I want to meet your dad. You got to meet my dad. He won't ever stop talking. I have to like literally rescue my husband or <laughs> anybody talking to I have to be like, okay, like we're going and physically move them. But he he's just so delightful. And yeah, he's uh, he knows everything about everything. Fascinating guy. I want to meet him. This like, is, he sounds like my type of dude. This is what I, I want to be. This is what I want to be. <laughs> yeah. He's like a cool, he's the quintessential cool nerd. Cool nerd. See, that's what I'm trying yeah. to go for. Damn. Yeah. The dad that did like the gainers and the backflips off the diving board of this, at the swimming pool. And he, you know, he took us, we did all these fun trips to California to see our family. Like we do a road trip every Every year, me and my brother and my, my parents, and we'd like, they had to stop at every watering hole. And just, you know, yes, they have a thing. We're like amphibians or something in my family, my dad and my brother and me. And we just, well, I just kind of followed suit. That's why I was raised by, by wolves. And like, my dad and my brother, I was just so jealous. They were always having so much fun without me. And, uh, and I would just be, I'd be like, I want to get on that rope swing and swing into that bog over there. Like, Mm, I'm gonna jump off that fun. cliff. Dang it! Let's go jump off of stuff. Just I'm sick of practicing all day. I want to go do something really dangerous like them. Okay, this is amazing. I mean, an easy takeaway is you can like have your cake and eat it too. Like you've enjoyed like this kind of like free form artistic experience, shifting genres, moving cities, taking the plunge. And so, well, people have an idea of that lifestyle, but but also over here, you're house hacking. You're thinking about finance, long term savings, starting businesses electrical yeah. and plumbing it's are you kidding me that's everything and i'm not i'm not really great with with money and like once you get into that whole arena like i'm just good at like steadily keeping my head down and making the money like just on a regular basis you know not even lots but just you know and um yeah it feels so weird to be talking about money on this show like i've never done this well, that's what we i might i might that's what we want Regret to fix. It, you know, we bring yeah. we bring guests on, and Good. I think like many different guests have wonderful perspectives on money. Uh, we've had John yeah. Hong uh, on the podcast, who's a friend of ours, who really talks so much about like focusing in, honing in on the work and doing the work, much like you. And then we'll have mm-hmm. like Winton Grant on the podcast, who. Is like okay, homie. You got to take one thousand dollars. You got to multiply it by fifteen percent by investing it here. Oh my god! They're so, yeah, so not we me. all have different strengths, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I think that what I wanted, what I found so beautiful about you, and why I wanted to bring you on here is to really talk about doing the work, like being in the world, creating the art. Because you play with postmodern jukebox, you play with right. vitamin string quartet, Hans Zimmer. I wanted to mm-hmm. circle back to the uh, the vitamin string quartet uh, because it, it's kind of been trending recently. And, and could you tell yeah. the Figgy fam what's been going on with that? Um, well, I have been involved with VSQ for like 10 years off and on. But like they, yeah, they have some placements on Bridgerton right now. And I'm playing on a couple of them. Ooh, which Do you remember which ones? Yeah, so the one I'm definitely playing on is um you play a bad guy, right? Bad guy. Yeah. Yes. Billy Eilish. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. 
which is it's a fun tune and like I love this guy this guy they used to for the arrangements Jim McMillan um and his wife yeah Kathy McMillan it's okay I met them once I went to their home studio it's beautiful like like their house has a view of the mountains mm. from it right in Pasadena I got some pics with them and everything they have their whole professional setup it's really impressive they are so cool. They're so cool. Yeah, I love how intellectual and and quirky and fun, fun and funny they are. We just, I love, I love that couple, and um, and their work is really great. They care so much about getting the perfect, you know, arrangements and understanding how to write for strings. So, and they've been doing it for twenty years. So it's like really cool that I get to work with them occasionally, and I'm honored that they that they use me to actually record, and then that I then I go and and mime, you know, I go and play. <laughs> Like do the video as well. They do it all different ways though. Like VSQ, they try. They're constantly trying different things. But they, um, they got that that they license their songs, which is something I really need to learn to do because I have pretty a pretty large catalog of of tunes that I've written and then written with other people, co-writing stuff that I'd love to get out there. But yeah, it's it's cool seeing. And I got to do this uh, article. I mean, uh, we we did a Billboard interview with them. Can, can you tell us about that process? Like, have you ever done like an interview with Billboard before? I haven't. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, man, it was it was pretty. Um, that was pretty cool. I'd do that again. But yeah, they were just there were a couple of nice ladies on there, and they they interviewed uh, Leo and James from James Curtis, and they are like founders. And what do you know? Exactly, their job title description. Not sure the exact. But yeah, title. they um they created VSQ pretty much, and it's like it's just such an interesting thing because they're not you know they're they're not the creative part of it, but they kind of like have learned from from the musicians that they work with about how to tell a story, and they get they're getting more creative in how they um explain what they do and what what their whole thing is about. It's neat. They're just, they're really good talkers too. They can. It is such a unique thing. Like I can't think of anything else kind of like that to where recorded house, but the production, like whatever I think of VSQ, it's often because I have to do some arrangement for a wedding or something. I just go check out their site because odds are they've done it. And so I like listen in. I'm like, wow, it's incredible. And I had no idea up until then just a few years ago just a, da- a different like a roster of players that they that they use and it's fun like they've given me stuff to do little little things here and there like um shooting videos for my for my living room like just to keep me busy it's been nice to have little projects during this time and i really i really uh respect what they've actually done for the space is because like we as the artists we're so in doing the art that we don't understand necessarily have the space to like build the infrastructure but i wanted to ask because after seeing this recent um this recent like upswing about 350 percent with their streams through bridgerton whoa yeah yeah Yeah, they've got they've got an upswing they're riding away right now do you think this is a future for uh, the, the market for string covers for sync licensing and placement do you see this continuing to grow like the next viral Netflix shows going to want strings because they saw that work. Absolutely. I think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are just fascinated. Like what I, my one um, paragraph that they used from what I, I said on that interview is like, I, I told them, 
I used the experience of like, I had this casino gig that I was doing and playing for people that had never been up close and personal with a, with a violinist, with, with a violin played well, you know, like they'd never experienced that. And it's just this like electric experience where um, I just really enjoy bringing pop covers to people on this instrument because like, it's just such a, a novelty for people. Like they love hearing a popular song that they know really well. That's, you know, it's contemporary and they hear it on the violin. It's just like their minds are blown. And then one, so that's the effect that's being, that I'm seeing with, with vitamin string quartet. Their fans are generally, it seems like not really professional musicians. Mostly it's usually non-musicians. I would think is their main fan base. And and you said in the article, it's, it's the most, you say that they say it's the most incredible version of the song mm-hmm. it's like their favorite version. Yeah. Do you hear that a lot? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's neat seeing it's like neat. this rise of uh like these like kind of like classicalized arrangements particularly in film. Uh like and f- for it to be so prominent particularly <laughs> on these new Netflix shows and I even remember like one of the biggest musical moments of like Stranger Things season one. It's a very dramatic moment. No spoilers for for those who haven't seen it. Even though it's been like, <laughs> Love it. it's been I've way too long. Yet. Watch season one, skip season two, watch season three. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But but they do a cover of. <laughs> oh, there's a third season. Season. It's really good. Know. It's actually really good. It. It's really good. Um, but yeah. like in the first season, it's a very dramatic moment, and it's David Bowie's heroes, and someone's singing, and then it's all strings in the background. And it's just an incredible moment because you bring in that context of the song in there. It's like that, what's like the academic way? It's like intertextual or some nerdy word, whatever. Like you're just bringing more context from the outside world and from like your personal experience and then attaching it to this film, which already has all this other context and it's music. And, and like people, it just it bl- blows their minds. It's fascinating. And I think one thing that's like yeah. nice about it too is that you're going to get the added benefits of bringing people's attachment to those pop songs. Um, like bad guys, great song. And then suddenly you see it up there, but it's like different. And, and I've, I've interacted with a lot of people, even those who are very much in music, like they're in choir and they always ask Uh something along the lines of why are you really into like instrumental music? There's no lyrics or something. How do you get like attached to it? And it's something I've never thought mm-hmm. about because I grew up always playing instruments. I wasn't a singer. I don't think about, didn't think about lyrics for such a long time. I'm bad at memorizing right. lyrics. I'm always Me thinking neither. about instrumental things, the melodies, the lines, the chords, the technicality, whatever. And I think this is a nice way to kind of bridge those gaps because they, they're associating the words, but it's different and it's virtuosic and it's leaning in in a different way. So it really is kind of this exciting time. Who thought Billboard is going to come in and be like, okay, you know what's, you know what's huge right now? String quartet, I'm calling it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's cool also is Daniel Bellardinelli, the other guy from Duomo. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like he was also the he was the other guy that plays some some instrumental versions of song of pop songs on that Bridgerton, and he, he is the one that I worked with like solely him like the beginning of quarantine. He got me my studio up and running. Wow. He was like the impetus for that. <gasps> Like this guy, he's a really cool guy. And um, it was just like such a coincidence to see his name in there and see him, you know, on that, on that interview, because like, yeah, he really helped me out. He gave me some cool projects and, and was, it was just really helpful to learn how to use logic. I learned, learned logic. We got these, um, these nice Neumann 
TLM 103s. Great. And yeah, it's just been, it's been great. Like I did something for Hans, did a SpongeBob three movie. Um, or, what? Yeah. It's just been doing, yeah. Just like I did the violin two and three and, uh, and Ben Powell, good friend of mine, ex <laughs> good friend, um, great guy and great violinist. He did the first fight. He does most of the solo stuff for Hans. And, um, and I do the tours mostly, <laughs> but yeah, it was cool to do to do that project. How is it doing film? Because it's such an exciting thing. Because like I'm on the, like the other side, but I just it, yeah. it's really exciting too well, this... seeing like Hans go on, and I think what he's doing well, and like a lot of other artists are doing too, is like putting the musicians first. Also, like these musicians have identity, like the Vitamin String Quartet. Because traditionally, you know, pay musician, go in soundtrack. We only talk about the composer and maybe the song at the end, but now to also Hans bringing out these exciting people for like Sherlock Holmes or whatever, or the famous singer yeah, for Gladiator, yeah. even that he's, I think he's done a good job being like, Hey, these musicians are kind of badass too. Yes. I love that about Hans is that like he discovered most of the people in his band and that he works with uh, through YouTube, just watching like YouTube videos. And he's discovered some real badass monsters, you know, like, like Guthrie, the, the guitarist, for instance. And, um, actually it wasn't that different for me. Tina Guo, um, recommend, she referred some like three violinists for a private audition. Um, and like, I think she, we didn't know each other that well yet, but I had been just really, looking at, you know, following her career and, and looking at how she posts these great videos and content is just so important. And that I can stress to everyone is like, man, that's my number one tip is have content. You know, it's so simple to just video every cool shining moment you get. Make sure someone gets it on video, man. <laughs> uh, people want to see that before they book you, you know, they want to see you play. And, uh, and I also, you know, I spent some money on not too much, but like I, I found really great uh, videographers and friends to work with because I saw Tina like, man, she's really, she's a force. She's doing this and doing that. And I just kind of emulated it a little bit. Like I, I realized the importance of a good video, like good quality. Um, however you can accomplish that nowadays, it's not that big a deal. And it, like you see a lot of lo-fi stuff really making it big. So it doesn't really, it's a, it's a different time than it was when I was, putting out these first videos 10 years ago. And, but that's, she saw some of my content and I think she respected that I was doing that and, and working hard, putting out stuff constantly. And then, um, yeah. So I went and auditioned and I got it. I was like, wow. And that's how I met Hans. Awesome. So thank you, Tina Guell. Shout out. Shout out. Yeah. Hard, hard working woman. <laughs> I wanted, can I circle back? Man, Leah, you are dropping gems. Can I just say that? Yeah. Baking fam, I hope Good. you're listening to everything she's saying because um, what you said particularly about content and putting it out there and just having your product out there for free that people can consume while you're sleeping yeah. is like everything and can we circle back because actually the first 
the first time I ever became aware of you was before I moved to LA. And Mm. after we've had more interactions, I've realized like I've known about you longer than I thought I've known about you. (laughs) Really? And it was through your work with Postmodern Jukebox. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. Like I've seen, I had seen you forget the, it was before I'd moved to LA. I'd seen you in one or two of their videos as a violinist and singing jazz as well. And I remember thinking like, this is a cold string player. Like this is some (laughs) stuff Smith ish. This is some like stuff Smith is one of my favorites. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, he's such a badass. And I feel like you are, you're carrying on that legacy and that soul. And so like, can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit more about like, how did the post, I'm like just trying to figure out the origin story of how you got here to be the badass (laughs) you are. Like, how did that start? Well, it's just about conscientious listening. Like really, like, I think that's one thing that, that not enough people do is just like, even if you got to smoke some weed to really get in there (laughs) and like dissect, you know, um, I just, that's what I did. I would, I, and also I had the, um, the opportunity to study jazz and they told me what to do, you know, like my senior year of college, um, Jeff Helmer was, he's the chair of the jazz department. He would, he, he like told us just, you know, learn these solos. Don't write it out even just learn it by, by memory. So I think I can really stress that's a great way to learn if initially, Learned some solos. I learned, you know, stuff Smith. And that really bluesy <laughs> stuff. And slow it down, man. There's this thing called the Amazing Slow Downer that I paid like, I don't know, 10, 15 bucks for. That app is gold because like it won't alter the pitch and you can slow it down. And it's like, so it's so helpful. And you can like zero in on the nuances that make it that style. Mm. Like, you know, like if it's um, bluegrass, like it's just, so many people don't understand. You, anybody can do it. Any any string player can do this. Like just slow it down and and really nitpick what they're doing. Like the slide for the slides they use for bluegrass is way different than the jazz slides, and the vibrato is different, and and all the little tricks. You know, all you have to do is zero in on it with your ears. You got great ears if you're already a classical player. So just you know, use them. <laughs> use them. So that's, and also I think it was just my genuine, you have to love stuff to get, you have to love something to get good at it a lot of the time. Like that's something I really admire about Dennis Hamm, um, the pianist that I talked about. He had 15 different teachers in it when he was a kid. Like he had one lesson with like 15 different teachers of all different styles. And then that was it. He just went, it was off to the races. Like he just taught himself to play piano and in his own style and used all these different it just became this organic entity, his music, his, you know, and, uh, and because he loved it and his parents let him play all day, just let him play piano all day. They didn't, you know, say anything about shut up in there. (laughs) So like, I mean, that's really, it's amazing that I had to be, my mom had to motivate me. And I'm sure a lot of others, especially string player moms, you know, they, she, she played me and my brother, the twinkles while we were sleeping the wow. book one, you know, be like at two years old, as early as that. So it's like, if you had that set out for you, that path, it, that's, it's not really your own. You're not choosing it that young. So she did make it really fun because she's a mastermind of making <laughs> practicing fun for as well as you can. She made the games out of it and stuff. And um, 
and was constantly monitoring and my practice. So it taught me the efficient ways. I didn't necessarily use those efficient ways. I didn't stretch. By the way, everyone needs a muscle gun. This would have saved my career, my classical career. Like, I mean, I, I'm still playing in the Hollywood Bowl Orchestra and I'm still doing classical New West and stuff. But like concertos will break you like mm. <laughs> this repertoire. So like, I just want to stress that if you have never tried a muscle gun or the lacrosse ball on the wall mm. it, and you know, if I had just taken more breaks at 15, the, the, um, I was playing the catch and that's what did me in. It was way up here, you know, on the, up on the G string and it just did me in. So for four years I couldn't play, but I just need, my body needed a break and I needed to like disassociate from the tension that, you know, it was, um, psychosomatic even just the tension of, and the I was so nervous whenever I played recitals and get the tension. It was just, and also the physically the having to vibrato every note. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah. Your arms are. Yeah. So didn't have to do that with other styles. And that's what really made me like, Oh, I can express myself in these other ways and it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. Wow. Oh my God. You know, it was like a revelation for me. Is there anything you haven't done? I know so, how like, look at oh, yeah. like, the resume. It's like, like serious question. It's all, but it's all within the confines of music, you know, <laughs> like pretty much. Although I got to give myself credit. And this is something I've, I've really struggled with is learning new things and not beating myself up because I can't get it right away. Mm. I think that's a, that's a, a, a problem for classical players is like, we, we've been doing one, you know, we, we excelled at something so young and, now to have to learn and master another thing just can be really daunting. And, uh, but my husband who just walked in the door, Ira Gonzalez, he is a surfer and he moved here from Virginia because he just, he fell for surfing really hard. And, uh, he's a musician. Um, he's a, he's got a band. They do events around the country every weekend. He's usually on, you know, somewhere (laughs) doing some high end wedding or party with his eight piece band and he he's awesome. But like, he is a master, like a really great surfer. And he taught me and he put up with my tantrums and my crying and my cursing the ocean in front of everyone on the beach. And like, you know, I'm high strung. He put up with that. And that's, it's, he, I was like, he's a keeper. Shout yeah. out. <laughs> Shout out. But yeah, like I learned to surf. So, and it's really not for the light, the, you know, faint of heart. It's a, it's, there's a lot of suck, as he says, in, involved in surfing. Like, literally, we got the riptide. So, it's, it's, that suck could kill you. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it'll suck you <laughs> out. Suck yeah. Suck. And like putting, getting the wetsuit on and off, getting up in, at the crack of dawn Ugh. because it's, you know, less wind and, and it's just freezing. And he gets on his motorcycle and puts the surfboard on a rack on, that he built on the bike. And he goes surfing from the east to the west side. But anyway, I just doing that, I think learning one new thing like slightly well, it really kind of cracked the code for me like it That's yeah. incredible. And and now being domestic is another thing that I never thought I could do. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing outside of music that I'm finally like feeling more comfortable with and like loading the dishwasher every night. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, just stuff as I was kind of a slob before. It was all my career and my music and that's all that, that took precedent. And, uh, but now that I have kids, they need routine and, and they, they are going to become what they see. So I've got to be a model for that. And, and I'm kind of liking it. I'm kind of liking the routine a little bit. It's kind of, 
I've yeah, it's a good challenge. I've heard of like like there's so many things you just said. I just recently to the, like the learning new things every day. Like I Drew and I can definitely relate. And so many other classical musicians, musicians, how scary it is to suck at something because. <laughs> And also, uh, it's it's just oh, to like even terrible. start something is so daunting. So friends will come on and be like, oh, like you, that's funny. Do stand up or like, oh, you should you know take up knitting or whatever. And it's just like we know because musicians know how hard it is to get good at something. We're like, well, is it even worth it? I don't want to start. But there's so much research now. I was just listening to some other podcasts two or three days ago, and it was one of those kind of journalists that like uh, immersive that goes in and like does the thing and then writes about it. And his book was about like learning a new skill really well every year. And his example mm. is something I can directly relate to. I'm not a skier and my partner, like I'm surrounded by snow now. And it's <laughs> like, I got to learn how to ski and like surfing. Uh, it's cold, it's painful and I'm not good at it. And it scares me because I don't want to die on my yeah. freelance health insurance. <laughs> but learning something new, so much of the research is showing like that's really longevity. That's what keeps you alive. Besides, you know, eating uh, some green food. Um, hmm. But like the thing he said about the, just the neat statistic that kind of stuck in my mind is like they watched kids. He himself, this author, started with skiing because his young daughter's like, oh, I want to ski. And he's like, I don't know how to do this. So I'm going to learn with her instead of just, you know, dropping her off uh, on the mountain. And he said that they studied all these kids and like why it's so much easier for them to pick up stuff too. Is yeah. Like the the fearlessness is like kids learning how to ski fall an average of 70 times an hour. And adults, hmm. it was like way less. Like we're terrified and like that fear makes it harder to ski. Why tension? It's yes. like back to music. Like we're suddenly tense and it's like, oh God, my freelance health care. If I fall over and break my arm, how yeah. am I going to feed feed myself? But oh, like these God. kids don't care. They're just like, yeah, I'll jump in the air. Uh, you know, and they just like land on my face. And so like <laughs> getting back to that. It's really it's kind of um, an uphill battle for musicians, but I'm like glad you're you're doing it. I'm trying to get there myself to like be like, hey, it's okay to not monetize this thing and to suck at it. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have the hardest time. Just I mean, the analogy I make is opening the violin case. That's the it's like even I'm trying to get better at roller skating too. I think I could be really good at like dance skating. Oh, that's awesome! And I used to do a lot do it a lot when I was a kid on quads but like yeah i just haven't had the time and it's just like just the the five minutes it takes to lace up the skates is deterring me from you know from getting out there and having kids but like after they go to bed i could totally just get it we made like a little you know area in the garage for me if i don't want to even leave and just like do some stuff i've heard about like efficiencies when they become parents or whatever because obviously like you just know how much work and time and energy goes into that. But there's more and more, I keep hearing more and more of these like stories about people. I can't remember. It's either the New York Phil or the Met, a, a cellist. She won that job, like raising young kids and it's practicing like one hour a day or something. And it's because she figured out like, yeah, like amazing? that force, that constraint of like, I've got to do all of these adult shit that like college students and high school students don't have to do when they win those jobs. It, like having kids like, trigger that moment like wait i'm gonna be become like very efficient in my practice or i'm gonna become very focused was it like that for you or? that's what it does that's what we are seeing wow. yes so it's like we we have the the kids are at the grandparents today and we have three zoom um d days of zoom like nine performances actually for outreach like foster homes and retirement communities 
um, special needs people. Like we've, we've got like nine things lined up, uh, Ira and me as, as a duo through music, which is a really cool organization, um, in Pasadena. And it's just this outreach thing. And, uh, yeah, we've got nine shows in the next four days. So we're just going to have to like use this two hours right after this. Uh, we have to like, we have to get it done, you know, or I have a session. It's, I need two hours. I only have, you know, I have to get it done after they go to bed when I'm really tired, but I just drink the coffee and I have to do it. Yeah. So it's really, it's changing things. I remember the way, my when, work ethic. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Go for it. I remember when you were, you and Ira were thinking about starting it and we had kind of talked about it and I was like, you should just like throw up videos. Yeah. You just start yeah. doing it. And now you guys are like, yeah. you have nine concerts. Like this was, this was like, not even like six months ago that we had this, this yeah. conversation and look at what has happened. Like you, there's so much power. Granted, my videos are not great. Like, you know, <laughs> you see, it's just the, I haven't even looked at how to do like a fade out screen at the end. Oh, I could teach you know, you I'm, I'm sure I could learn it in a second. Just call me. It's just, but like just getting it out there. That's been the, 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 um, my thing is like, I've learned to not nitpick and there's so many artists that should have made solo albums, but it is a, such a, a process. Like I've done, I've made three on my own, three, three albums. And I generally do like try to do one every three, four years <laughs> is what I'm saying. And it's like, it just represents that chapter in your life. It's like, a, it's like really cool little scrapbook, you know, audio scrapbook. And um, I love doing it, but it's just like it, it's time consuming. It's energy, uh, money. Like you have to pour all of yourself into it. So depending, like if it's just, if it's just like, this was covers, you know, like my poor moi, and this is what everybody loves the most that I've done. Like they love this Leah identity, Mm. the gypsy jazz queen, you know, like (laughs) it's very, I think that it's really, it, it's covers, but I um, I did arrangements for it and some string arrangements. And um, I had Gonzalo on there and his incredible guitar playing is on there. But like, I think that's the identity that people seem to really like that I, that sound, the old gypsy jazz. And if you don't know about Django Reinhardt and Stefan Grappelli and that gypsy jazz music, like check it out Rapelli. from the 30s, Hot Club of France. Who, you know, who's the other guy? Um. Django Reinhardt is the guy that his two fingers got burnt in a fire and he couldn't really even use them. And he a revolutionized legend. jazz guitar, like, um, without those two fingers. I, I can't and play he it. Just would. I remember I was very big in a guitar in high school and, you know, <laughs> tabs before I really knew what music, how to like read music. And I was just like, oh, he's right. cut this, this dude's like amazing. And like, you listen to his recordings and then you realize like, oh, he also has two fingers and oh, also you can't even play it. Right. It's, it's like absolutely right. incredible. Yeah, and I get to play with like one of the top Django uh, guitar players in the world, and we like I've played in France. I think it's been two or three times uh, at the Django Reinhardt Festival, where and it and it's like this gypsy encampment, and everybody comes. From, it's just like the coolest thing, um, old world feel. And, oh my god! And, uh, Is that where your dog got yeah. uh, their name? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, Ira, I, I, that's how Ira fell in love with me, is because he oh. is, he's a singer and guitarist, 
bass player and uh and he like I gave him this album. We were we were working for Elon Artists, which is a wedding agency and Ira's been with them for like 15 years on the East Coast first and then fortunately just by chance they opened a branch out here and he moved for surfing but he had a job when he came. So wow. Um he yeah, so like he heard that album and he just said that that was I was the girl for him and he could tell by not my looks. <laughs> he said, that's apparently an, I'm that's not textbook pretty, though. which is that's fine with me. I'm a, I'm a big nerd, but like he, um, but he, yeah, he fell in love with that, like the voice stylings and like the, the phrasing and stuff. And, and I think that I wow. really got that from Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra. I listened to a lot of conscientious listening, like really um, was able to pick up that old style of singing as a kid. Mm. I'm just taking notes because like, um, I think that we, we were on, we did a podcast with D sharp, the violence. Are you familiar with D sharp? I I heard the whole podcast. It's awesome. Uh, He's so cool. I love him. And he said the same thing. And I'm, I'm starting to realize after all this time, like it's like the most obvious truth, but like you are a combination of your influences and I can hear your Ella Fitzgerald. I could hear the Frank Sinatra. And I also yeah. can, like, when you play violin, I do hear the Stefan Grappelli. I do hear um, the classical training because your intonation is dialed in. And, like, that's one of those Thank things you. that, like, I don't know. I'm so thankful for classical training. It's like, I can play accurately and consistently. Yeah. yeah. You are a beautiful player, Drew. Mm-hmm. Tru- truly are. Can't wait to play some chamber music. I want to play with you again. <laughs> Let's do another collab soon. We got to make Let's content. Yeah. We did that Miss Jackson yeah. and we did the crazy, the Gnarls Barkley. Gnarls Those two covers did really well. People dug yeah. it. They did. Yeah. We got to give the people some more. <laughs> that's so fun. I can't, I love like, that's something that I did not put on my reel. I don't know if you saw my, my video reel. It's like four minutes long. No. But it's like all these little... It's, pieces of um moments in my life musical moments that i i'm just so lucky and fortunate to have gotten on video but like the moment i got to solo with stevie wonder the moment i soloed with annie lennox um like all these little what was the oh CeeLo. i didn't put that one on there i need wow. to but like i was i was CeeLo's violinist for a bit and it was <laughs> crazy remember the story yeah i understand yeah. why you i mean but I, I mean, there were, it was a really good experience though. Everything is a learning experience. It can, it can, what, even if it goes downhill, like real fast, everything's a learning experience. It's fantastic. I mean, like you've, you've done, so you've already done everything. You've performed <laughs> with pretty much everyone. You've <laughs> no. done covers. You've done uh, opera, gypsy jazz. It's absolutely insane what you've done and accomplished already. What's next? I still got goals. What's next? Man, I want to make. I want to make so much more music. I want to like write some more with Stevie Black and put out some more um, music with him. He did the Plans Change with me. And oh, yeah. And on Plans Change, to anybody listening, like, oh, yeah, I was rapping on that. (laughs) Do it yourself about being a freelancer. And then like the Wombat, that tune is it's an instrumental with Steve Vai. Steve Vai. Featured on that. Yeah, the you've really done it with every, like everyone. This is insane. This is, and then David Grisman is on from uh, the Grateful Dead. 
Uh, we had him on Go for a Walk because he was Stevie's mandolin teacher. <laughs> so cool collaborations and stuff, but I want to do more. And then there's, um, yeah, I need to learn video editing. These are my goals. Uh, I want to get, you know, Ira's and my duo, go, our married couple duo going <laughs> even stronger. I want to learn Spanish better. I used to be really good at Spanish. <clears throat> I studied in Spain when I was in, in college. Wow. Um, got I got to check out TikTok. I don't know if how if people. I don't know if we have a. Uh, we'll have to TikTok collab. That's how we'll learn it. Okay. Uh, that's how yeah. I learned Instagram is through collaboration. So I'm down to learn TikTok with you. Sweet. Yeah, we can figure that out. I got a lot to learn. Me too. Um, I want to do a looping solo set. That's something else I want to because like I feel like I'm really strong at the looping. I've done it in the past a lot. So I just got, I, I got to get, and my pedals, like effects are so much fun and I barely get to use them because they've just been a pain to lug around <laughs> the, the pedal board. So now I have a mini, like mini pedals and it's just this tiny little, you know, portable uh, pedal board. So I'm excited to use that in the future when gigs come back. <laughs> and yeah, but oh, also music therapy because I'm really realizing like, how good it feels to give uh, musically and, and like doing these, we're about to do these outreach like for, for foster homes. If you touch one person, it's just so fun. It's so me- meaningful. And uh, that's something I'd love to get more into. Yeah. And better at public speaking. Mm. <laughs> Learn not to great. ramble on. No, this is it. One thing I wanted to like touch on was like your um the public the public service. I've been just I don't know why I've been referencing it. I was supposed to read it, but I chose not to because <laughs> I went to Juilliard to practice. But artist is a citizen by uh the former president Polisi. Yeah, I didn't Juilliard. read it either. <laughs> artist. I don't think anybody did. I just know the Look. title. The title's great. I think I got it. The title's great. <laughs> it says everything you need to know. And I love how you're embodying that message of being out among the people, not being the type of artist that needs to sit on the shining hill, but you're the yeah. type of artist that goes to where the people are and gives them exactly what their soul needs. And that's music therapy. I'm so glad to hear that you do. Mm. It's beautiful. Right. Well, man, I was really bummed when I, I got invited to do the game of Thrones tour, right? Yeah. A couple of years ago. I think I told yeah. you how bummed I was. Um, but like, I could have played Madison Square Garden and Hollywood Bowl and done these bucket list things, but like, okay, then it's done. You do it and then it's done. And, you know, the deeper I start thinking about, about this experience on earth and like we get one, it's like, what's more meaningful is to just sit in a room with, with people that are just hanging on your every note and to move someone like the, the smaller, like, you know, like every gig can be meaningful. It's just a choice. It's your own choice. And you make it what it, you know, it's, it is what you make of it. Every musical experience. So I'm, I'm starting to get a little more enlightened about that. Mm. Mm. Bars. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leah, yeah. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Um, I, we, we, so look, this is, 
addictive, right? I love this. This is why yeah. I do it. Mm. Will you come I'm back? So glad you're doing this podcast. Will you come back? Awesome. Come back, please. Um, anytime. Okay. Welcome. Yeah, to I have to finish my life story before you to tears. <laughs> yeah, I, I know you got to practice with with Iron. You got to get it dialed in because uh, because your mom, you got to do things. But is there anything else that you want the faking fam to know? Do you, do you want to shine a light on a particular project or something that you're doing? I mean, just like trying to get people to uh, maybe check out the YouTube channel. Okay. Leah Zeger's, uh, just Leah Zeger. Um, that's L-E-A-H-Z-E-G-E-R. And um, yeah, I got a, a ton of videos on there. And uh, hopefully you find the right ones, but they're just tons. Because <laughs> um, I'm I'm the content queen, you know. Yeah. Whether it's it's good and shiny and polished or not but like yeah i just check out the duo videos that i have with ira we're called leah and i oh, you can't think of a better name i love that <laughs> um that was his idea but like yeah i got the albums out um i think plans change is just really cool for anybody that is like any string player or any instrumentalist that's like looking into um into writing like lyrics uh i pretty I'm pretty pleased with like my lyric writing on that. I think it's, it's just real honest. It's, it's all very honest writing to, to, a, I'm honest to a fault, but like a lot of people, to a lot of people it's charming and it's just who I am. So it's inspiring. If you, to me. Mm-hmm. Really? Good. Yeah, I love that, that means a lot, but like, yeah, I'm thinking just the first thing, if you're trying to learn to write lyrics is just listen to them. And, um, I'd say, I wrote some parting words here, some like tips and stuff. Try try anything once. <laughs> I have a try anything once philosophy. I'd say focus on your thing rather than the gig. Learn a language, travel, do outreach, and aim high. And um and have lots of different diverse avenues and goals. That's like the spice of my life has been emulating my dad in in my musical career mm-hmm. is just like he didn't want to just be in an orchestra. He chose to swing a hammer. He chose to, you know, be on the phone with brides and learn and negotiate because that's, he's a people person. And so I get all that in my freelancing life. And, you know, I encourage everyone to just embrace the variety of being a freelance gig musician. Leah, you've got an incredible story, an incredible family, an incredible life. <laughs> and you're not even done. <laughs> it's still just going. getting started it's still going i hope so yeah. yeah yeah who knows what this climate will will look like you know for us musicians in in a year from now we'll, we'll see i'm feeling happy because i know we have like musicians like you out there in this climate so i'm excited about the future it's a great list we'll definitely have you Thank back you. on and by that time you'll be a, a tiktok star and, Woo, and every video open. will have fade outs. It's going to be amazing. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got to learn that shit. Thank you, Trevor. So nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. Till next time.